0: because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello and welcome to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. We have a fabulous guest today, Eddie Blass. Hi Eddie, how are you doing today?
2: Good, thank you. And thank Great. you for having me.
0: Did Santa bring you everything you wanted for Christmas?
2: Oh, Santa was very generous, thank you.
0: And did you have a New Year's you're allowed to talk about on the radio? <clears throat>
2: yeah, I had eight people.
0: Okay. (laughs) All right. Wonderful. (laughs) Well, as all our listeners know, uh, our focus on the show is to do our best to help change the world for the better. Eddie has focused on that for quite some time now. She's currently the pro-vice chancellor, a pro-vice chancellor at Torrance University and is the CEO and founder of Inventorium, which is geared towards developing skills for students and developing personal learning plans to help them take control of their future. To make their education tailored towards them versus the one-size-fits-all educational system that it seems like, to me at least, we have today. Eddie and her, her organization are completely aligned with the focus on this show and is making a difference in people's lives as we speak. Eddie, welcome to the show. Please tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and Inventorium as well as your mission and how you go about trying to accomplish it.
2: Thank you. Um so I guess I've really um, started my passion in education when I was at school because I hated it. Mm. I absolutely hated school when I was there. Um, and then I hated university. And then I kind of hated being a student until I did my doctorate. Um, and at that point, I s- suddenly loved studying. So, you know, you might think, why did I keep going if I hated it so much? But it wasn't that I hated Learning. I loved learning. I loved the discovery of new knowledge. I just hated school and I hated being told what to learn and when to learn it. And I hated writing essays and I really hated exams. I wasn't good at exams. Um, and when you get to do your doctorate, you get to write a thesis. Um, and so it's, it's not about exams at all, it's about creating something that's yours, mm. that you can be proud of, and creating a contribution to new knowledge. Um, and I kind of thought with the inventory, um, you know, there were a lot of kids, but well, depending on the statistics you look at, between 25 and 40% of kids in South Australia who start high school at year 8 and it will go down to year 7 this year or now, um, they don't complete year 12. And that's a really terrible statistic. And so I started to look into why it is that kids are disengaging from school. And I looked at all the research on why kids disengage, and it's almost like everybody agrees the system is broken and what's wrong with it and why kids are disengaging, but then nobody's doing anything about it. Hmm. And the inventorium started almost as a challenge. It was like, can we design the school system that responds to why kids are disengaging from school? Um, And if you can do it, is it then scalable? Mm. And the answers are yes, um, but it's very different to what we provide at the moment. And so actually scaling it at the moment is very difficult because the systemic change that would be required, but it is possible. Mm.
0: So my, my – underst- well, what I've heard for, I don't know, a couple of decades, maybe even longer, is that our educational system is, was designed basically in the Industrial Revolution – you know, to help prepare people to go into the workplace, yeah. and obviously, a lot of those jobs through technology and just you know us moving more from a goods-based economic system to a service-based economic system don't no longer exist. So it no longer services uh, serves us. Is that? pretty much what you're saying is that
2: yeah and we, we've got very much into education that's based on assessment where we can measure certain outcomes and the measuring of the outcomes drives the whole system mm-hmm. and those outcomes that are measurable and not this they, they end up being standardized to make the measurement easier mm. um, and really what we need to get away from is that um, standardization in, in such a way that there's only one way of doing things. Mm. Um, and actually, you know, the, the SACE, the South Australian High School Certificate, the SACE board run by Professor Martin Wessel, and he's a genius. It's great. You, we, I love SACE at the Inventorium. We can, we can get kids their SACE in the Inventorium with a personally negotiated curriculum mm-hmm. because he's written the SACE in such a way that it can be interpreted and applied Um, to a whole range of learning opportunities rather than just one. But then when I try and negotiate with other states um, to work with high schools in their areas, I just hit a brick wall because they have to do an exam, they have to have read this text, they have to have done this, they Mm. have to have done that. And it becomes so standardized to the point of every child has to have done the same thing, which doesn't actually ensure that every child gets the same learning. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the big problems and reasons why kids disengage from school, according to all the research that I looked at, which is now four or five years old, because at the time, it took me four or five years to build the inventorium to where it is now. But one of the key things is that kids learn at a different pace. Mm. Um And so you'll get some kids in the class for whom the class is really easy and they've done everything in the first half of the class and then they're bored and disruptive. And then you get some kids in the class who are lost after the first 10 minutes. And I spoke to a girl like that recently and she said, you know, I feel after 10 minutes that I sit there for the rest of the hour like I'm stupid. Mm. And I thought, you know, as an adult, if I went to work in the morning and spent the first hour of the day sitting there telling myself I was stupid, how would the rest of my day go? Mm. Yeah, you know, And it wouldn't go well.
0: No, not ideally, no.
2: No. And, yeah. and so, you know, that's, you know, if, if we can get beyond that for kids. And, the, you know, the girl's not stupid. She just has difficulty with some of the subjects that she's learning. Mm. Um, and because there isn't the ability to adapt or flex or go at her pace without her dropping down a year, which is seen as failure, etc., and then they don't graduate from their high school on time. They're just, the system is too rigid for the needs of of young people now.
0: Hmm. Well, it's interesting, because what, what was running through my head when you were talking about that is is you know we in in the business world that 's what you do. You figure out what the person's strengths are and you build on those you don 't focus on their weakness you build on their strengths and that 's how they help out the company and Even in institutions that are not known for being super open minded like the military that 's what they do. They figure out what the person 's good at, and then that 's what they do If they have aptitude to be an air traffic controller they 're an air traffic controller if they have aptitude. To to be a chef, they make them a chef usually. I mean, that's so. If organizations like that can make that switch, it's it's really strange if you think about it that that's not how we run our educational system.
2: Yeah, look, I, I think some of it as well is because you know we all went through that system. Mm-hmm. We are products of that system, so there is a reluctance to change to something very different mm. in case it's worse. Mm. You know, and there's that, you know, if you've got a kid and you've got the option of doing something completely different or the option of doing something traditional, even if you think the traditional's not working, at least you know what the outcome is. Mm. And so people tend to stick with the traditional until they get to a point that their kid is so disengaged and, and then they'll take a chance and come to the inventory. But mm. we have 95% retention rate with kids who refuse to go to school.
0: Wow. That's awesome. That is making a huge difference mm. in people's lives. That's, that's fabulous. Well, um, so you, you feel is – what, is what I'm hearing you say and, – and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, so that's why I want you to help me here – is that you think we have to hit rock bottom as a society before we'll make the changes we need to make? No, I mean, is that because I mean, if if, <laughs> if you're saying, oh no, well, what's what we're doing is not working, but it's working good enough, and the next thing might be worse, you know? No,
2: I think it's more about when the paradigm shift will come.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I think at the moment we work mainly with the kids where the parents are, are wanting something very different because their kids have maybe hit what you could call rock bottom. I wouldn't call it that, but mm-hmm. let's say the kids have have hit. And the parents are prepared to take the risk because they're now 100% sure that traditional schools not working for them, they come to us. And we do also work with other schools, by the way.
0: Well, what I meant was a society to change our educational system to where our test scores have to get so bad and our kids have to get so unhappy that we.
2: What will happen is gradually as we prove the new system works, Mm -hmm. it will grow alongside the current Current. one. And then there'll be a transition Mm. at some point to it or it becomes the new way of doing things. Mm.
0: Well, I know that you don't want to talk about COVID, but actually that made me think of something (laughs) real quick. I mean, personally, I mean, and and this show is not about me, so I don't want to talk too much about me, but I graduated first in my class in university. And if I had it to do all over again, I would have partied a lot more and studied a lot less. And and, uh, I'm sorry if actually now I'm going to get a bunch of angry parents calling in, but because I didn't use anything that I learned. Um, And... You know, the point I'm trying to make is is that uh, right now I'm distracted thinking about all the angry parents I'm going to (laughs) get. Study hard, stay in school. No, but the point the point I'm trying to make is is how I mean the system needs to prepare us for the real world. And in the old days, to me, it seemed like that you know we were taught to think for ourselves. I mean, going all the way back to Aristotle. And now our education system has become more of a rote, you know, is memorize this, vomit it up. You know, I mean, is do you agree with anything I'm saying or am I way off base?
2: No, no, I think you're right. I think what's happened is that we've commoditized education into chunks and we keep trying to measure progress and improvement and whether somebody's got something. And every time we test and measure, we, we limit the the actual educational process because whoever's driving that process gets measured by success on on those measures um and i to be honest i think a lot of the measures are wrong we've picked the wrong measures Mm. but they're measurable Mm -hmm. so we're not for example looking at whether or not kids are inspired Mm. because how would you measure inspiration
0: Wow. Well, this is a wonderful conversation we're having, Um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing some more, but it's uh, 6.15 right now, and we'll be back in just a little bit. A modo mio, ogni giovedì, dalle 2 alle 5, con Vincenzo Rullo, solo su Radio Italia 1,
1: 87.6 FM.
2: Looking for a new coffee machine for your home or workplace? Look no further than Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your experts in all things coffee. Why not come in for a chat and a special coffee tasting? You'll find us at 264 Gilbert Street in the city.
0: You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello, we're back with Eddie Blass, uh, a uh, pro vice chancellor of Tor- from Torrance University as well as CEO and founder of Inventorium, an organization that helps students figure out a personal roadmap in their educa- to create educational success. And in the last session, we were talking a little bit about Uh, Your feelings on standardized education and uh, trying to fit everybody into the same mold. Um, And... And, you, and and my feeling was you, you weren't feeling that was a great idea, okay, to say the least. But what would you say to people that say, hey, listen, competition isn't always bad, so they should compare, uh, you know, student A to student B. I mean, competition can raise the boat, you know. I mean, uh, you know, can raise the tide, as it were, and it'll raise the boat. I mean, what do you, what do you say to that?
2: I'm not saying that competition – is always bad. And there are some people who thrive under competitive circumstances.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I think people need to be able to choose what they're going to compete at. Mm. You know, it's this point about um, finding your strengths and playing to them. Um, and what we do with the inventorium is it's an online curriculum. So in that sense, it's standardized. Mm. But what it, the curriculum is based on is learning processes not what those processes are applied to. So the students pick the subject that they wish to apply that learning process to. So, you know, it may be about digital literacy. It may be about financial literacy. You know, one of our tasks in maths is that they have to plan a holiday somewhere. Now, they get to pick where it is, how they're going to get there, what sort of budget they're going to use, whatever. But they have to calculate everything and do the research to find out how much it's going to be to do that full holiday and do all the exchange rate conversions and look at what happens if the exchange rate goes up, the exchange rate goes down and contingency plans, etc. Um and that's real world maths.
0: Yeah, no, that's fabulous.
2: Um and but and they still get to choose because they get to explore a holiday, their dream holiday that they'd love to put together.
0: Mm. Yeah, that would probably help them out more than figuring out the cosine of whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's that's great. Um so but if we go back to that and, and they say, well, what's what do you say to the people that are like – that, you know, okay, they can pick what they compete in and all that, but why should we change the whole educational system to suit this one child? Shouldn't we come up with an educational system that serves society and the individuals need to fit into that? What do you say to people that have that kind of a mindset?
2: Um, I I would question – the way that they're viewing society and the extent to which the education system is serving it. I mean, ultimately, the education system has been designed from a point of white male privilege, Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't necessarily serve everybody equally all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying the whole education system is wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But I think there are different groups in society who would benefit from different areas of change in the system. I think that, you know, we have whether we have more kids now with learning disabilities or we're better at diagnosing learning disabilities and difficulties, there are more children in the classroom with those types of issues Mm -hmm. that we then need to adjust, make reasonable adjustments for in how we teach and assess those children. Mm. Um, And so there is much more diversity in the classroom now. Um, and we require a much more diverse workforce in order to meet the future needs of industry. So for me, it's not about, did everybody read Shakespeare and Jane Austen? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was listening to a radio program when I was on my road trip over Christmas and there was an hour of why people should read Jane Austen and how important it was that every child at school read Jane Austen. Well, I've never read Jane Austen or Shakespeare, and I can tell you now well, maybe this is now a challenge for me, that I should, but I don't think I would ever choose to. Mm. I've gone and watched Shakespeare Mm. as a production.
0: I can see the value in reading Jane Austen if you're having trouble sleeping. Um,
2: (laughs) But but I mean, what was interesting about it was was the people in in the conversation Mm. could not understand why anybody might not enjoy reading Jane Austen. Mm. Um, And it... It wasn't within their capability of understanding mm. to even consider that somebody might find that so unappealing to read that it would actually put them off reading.
0: Well, this this takes me down another road here that maybe we shouldn't go down, but I'll do it anyway. Um, that's one of the challenges that i, you know, that a lot of people have with academia, including myself. And like i said, i i have four degrees myself and i don't use any of them, you know. So my father's very glad that i paid for my own education cuz it was all for naught. Um, but the the rea- the whole academic persona of, you know, we know better than you, you know, that's the thing that people find most frustrating where, you know, we know what's best for you and, and you know. When I was young, the idea of univ- – univer- very young, you know, universities were the place that you were supposed to go to question things. And nowadays, it seems like it's when you're, where you're going to be told things, which I, I don't know. I, I find that is
2: uh, – it's, it's really interesting. I mean, as I say, when I – you know, I've always loved learning and I love doing my doctorate. Um, Because that was the one time that I actually got to explore and do what I wanted to and submit something that I felt was an expression of my learning. Um, When I did my master's course, it was better than my undergraduate course. My undergraduate was complete regurgitation. Mm. In all honesty, and let's hope I don't get fired for saying this, but we are also an RTO at Torrens, um, I actually think unless your undergraduate qualification gives you a professional Entrance to something like doctors, lawyers, nurses, accountants. I get the need for those undergraduate degrees. But there is no problem in studying for the sake of studying, and I am certainly not advocating that we shut down the arts at all. But I do think we need to be realistic with people as to the value of Mm. an undergraduate degree compared to the value of going to work and or doing an apprenticeship or a vet course.
1: Mm. And
2: vet is always treated as the poor cousin in Australia, and it's always looked upon as the lesser Mm. than going to university. But, you know, in, in terms of the value, it will add to somebody in terms of starting their profession, in terms of getting out into the workplace and being employable compared to an undergraduate degree, I've got to say I would put my money on the vet qualification. <laughs> I,
0: I, you know, I, I, I can see exactly what you're saying. I hate to use talk about myself so much, but when I first came to Australia, I just felt like such a bozo because you know I had all these degrees, and you know and then there's guys in the Northern Territory or West Australia, the Northern Territory making one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year driving a dump truck. And I'm like why am I working so hard? Why did I study so hard? You know, I mean, I could have been in my I could have been an electrician, I could have done whatever and Done very, 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 very well for myself. A carpenter, a plumber, all kinds of great things. And I things. completely
2: get that it's you know, not all just about earning a living and it's not all just about getting a job. And that's where I think... But that, that is post-grad. the mythos
0: you're sold. Yeah. I mean, going back to World War II, you go to university, yeah. you study real hard, you make something of yourself, you make all this money, you buy a house. I mean, that was the whole... Uh, you know, sales job that was done to us, yeah. You know, by our parents and their parents was done to them.
2: Some of the best postgraduate students are people who leave school, go and get a job, and then really understand what it is to work and be in a workforce. We don't have the skills required in order to progress, and then they come back to study, you know. And I personally have, have this thing now that actually if there's 14-year-olds who are so disengaged from school they wanted to leave school and get a job, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have a big problem with that. Mm. I'm not saying all 14-year-olds should leave school at that age, but where you have kids who are just going to truant anyway, you know, at least if we can get them engaged in some form of school-based vet or some work-based activity... We would then be getting them, you know, developing those skills, which is more the type of thing that we try and do in the inventorium, is get them doing real-life projects where they're applying their skills and developing themselves and – feeling that they are a success at something which then builds their confidence to go on and do the next thing and then ultimately they will come back to study at postgraduate level because once you've got enough work experience you can get mature age entry and alternative entry and you don't have to go through the sort of school undergraduate postgraduate machine Mm -hmm. that ends you up in an awful lot of debt Mm. and you know my fear always is you know is that amount of debt really worth it for everyone that's doing it. Mm. And we just keep expanding the numbers when, you know, maybe we should be looking at really expanding the VET system or integrating VET, you know, higher ed apprenticeships would be something really interesting to look at so that we have people in universities and the workplace at the same time and we're developing people in a very different way so that it goes beyond the kind of, you know, every university says they do work integrated learning and people get a 12-week placement if they're lucky. Um, but that's not enough. It's actually about really understanding what the workplace is like and what they want their future to be in the workplace, whether that's self-employed or working for someone else, mm. and developing them to succeed in that.
0: Wow, that's uh, <laughs> we're having a very stimulating conversation here, and, and given a, we're given a lot to think about. I'm looking forward to talking to you again here after this break about you know how parents can help young people fit into this kind of a program. So we'll be back here in just a little bit. It's uh, about six thirty-one.
1: How good is Mighty Joe's? They're brilliant. Mighty Joe's is the largest fruit market in South Australia. They handle all Italian small goods. And a family business. Yeah, that's right. Four decades. Joe and Francesco, they're proud to present fresh produce from local growers and local produce markets, passing massive savings on to you. And their service is so friendly. Tell me about the opening hours. Absolutely. They're open 7 until 7, Monday to Friday, and 7 until 5, Saturday and Sundays. And they have weekly bargains and specials, like nuts and fruit and veg, cold meats, pastas and plenty more. And they've got a new shop. They certainly have. Mighty Joes are now at 115 Findon Road, Woodville. Check their Facebook page, Mighty Joes Fruit Market. I need some fruit and veg. I'm heading down right now. I'll come down with you. Join me,
2: Ron
0: Feebler. Hey. Karen Fiedler. Each Saturday morning from 9 to 10am for Talking Real Estate. Your guide to real estate in Adelaide and South Australia. We'll bring you the latest local real estate news, interviews, tips and advice from property experts. Plus, report on the Italian property market and let you know about the week's open homes and upcoming auctions.
1: And don't forget, I'll be bringing you my
0: open home of the week. On Radio Talia Uno, 87.6 FM, Talking Real Estate, every Saturday morning from 9 till 10am. Be in the know with Adelaide's local real estate show. Bed sale on right now at Save a Lot Beds, lowest prices in Adelaide. Save hundreds or even thousands. New orthopedic beds in queen or double for four forty nine. Australian made queen or double mattresses for only one ninety nine. King size pillow top mattresses for only four ninety nine. Get the good night's sleep you deserve. Save a Lot Bed sale is on right now at six thirty four Port Road in Beverly. Don't miss out. Get down to Save-A-Lot Beds at 634 Port Road, Beverly, for the massive double queen and
1: king-size sale. Ora più che mai, l'assistenza che le famiglie conoscono e di cui si fidano è qui per te, a Bene. Con i nostri servizi di assistenza domiciliare i tuoi cari diventano nostri offriamo servizi di supporto sociale e assistenza per fare la spesa ed Andrea si è sentito completamente a suo agio Il personale è stato fantastico fornendomi supporto sociale a casa Bene, fornisce servizi per mantenere uno stile di vita attivo e di benessere assistenza domiciliare o residenziale agli anziani con rispetto e calore con bene, sei in famiglia chiamaci all'81 31 2000 o visitaci su Bene.org.au
2: Foodland's proudly owned by South Australian families like mine. Our stores are our second home. And just like home, we want you to feel safe and looked after when you visit. Thankfully, our customers have always acted like mighty South Aussies when shopping with us. Which, by the way, supports all the local family-owned brands who produce the essentials you find on our shelves. Great families, great locals, and great food lives here. The
1: mighty South yeah! Radio Italia Uno. You're listening to
0: Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello, welcome back to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. We're here with Eddie Blass, uh, pro-vice counsel, uh, sorry, pro-vice counsel. I almost made you a lawyer. You (laughs) have a conscience, so you can't be a lawyer. I
2: do actually have a law degree. Oh, no.
0: So anyway, uh, and also uh, the CEO and founder of Inventorium, which is a program that helps young people and more experienced people uh, find their way through the educational system by tailoring it towards them. So in the last session, we talked about a plethora of things. Um, But the last point you made really intrigued me. I I wanted to – when you were talking about people leaving school, going back, that kind of thing. uh, One thing that I think is a real challenge, uh, I think a lot of us just go to university because that's what's expected. We don't think it through. We don't realize how that's going to impact the rest of our lives. It just seems to me that parents – uh, in, in my situation and i know in a lot of other people's situation i think they could use a lot more guidance you know uh, a, a mentor to help them figure out which way they want to take their life you know their parents helping them figure out a, a w- and notice i say help them figure out not figure out for them you know which way they want to go um, w- what's your opinion on that
2: okay so firstly i would not want to be a parent of a teenager you know? oh, no. a- and i and secondly yeah. i'm not parent so okay. I just oh, okay. put those two provisos there first. Having said that, we spend a lot of time talking with teenagers about their parents hmm. because parents are the primary influence in most teenagers' lives, or one of the primary influences. Um, and there, you know, there's a lot of expectation put on kids by their parents, and you know, a lot of parents will be sitting there saying, "But we just want them to be happy," but their definition and measure of happiness is different to what teens definitions and measures and aspirations are now Hmm. i mean we now have a generation who are likely to be less well-off than their parents because of the way that house prices have gone up pensions etc so this is the generation where measure of success is not going to be doing better than your parents in economic terms this is the generation that are out marching for climate change you know and and While a lot of people may think that's, you know, terrible and a waste of their time and, you know, they don't know what they're doing or whatever, what it says is that this generation are concerned about bigger problems and they're more into that social enterprise type of model of wanting to do well and do good. Um, And finding their purpose is more important to them than necessarily finding a job that's going to give them a very big income. Now, ultimately, it'd be good if they managed both because then they'll be economically successful. I'm certainly not advocating for kids to not be economically successful and sustainable because that's really important that they are. Um, But it's doing that in a way that feels congruent Mm -hmm. with them and their values. Mm -hmm. Um, And kids grow up so much faster these days because of the Internet, because of social media, because of everything they're exposed to in the world. Even, you don't want to talk about COVID, but even the, the implications of COVID, the wearing of masks, the way people are communicating, people being scared to go out, the reduction in social activities, all of that is having an impact on everybody, but particularly young people. as This is like core years in their development that they don't get back. And it's really hard to understand the impact that's having without really helping the kids themselves consider who it is they really want to be and understand that who that is now isn't necessarily who they will need to be for the rest of their lives. Mm. So it's who do they want to become now? Knowing that they can change that if they decide actually they don't like that as they start to experience it. Um, And once kids can actually focus on who it is they want to be, they can start to plan how they're going to get to be that Mm. person. And then they find the educational opportunities and the work opportunities and volunteering and experiences and mentors that takes them there. Mm. The difficulty for a lot of parents is that traditionally most kids will fall into occupations or job roles very similar to what their parents had. Mm. You know, I trained as a teacher. My mom was a teacher. I know someone whose daughter's a vet because they're a vet. And, you know, their mother's a nurse and she's also trained as a nurse. So... You know, there is that kind of familial type you, of career influence, which can be very subconscious just because that's all that people are exposed to.
0: Do you happen to have statistics on that? I'm intrigued by that because
2: I, I, I can I'll find them and send them because
0: I, you know, I, I think a lot of kids do the opposite of what their parents are doing, too. I, I wonder how, how that Well, some, sometimes
2: they do. Sometimes they say, I don't want to be like my parents and I'm going to do exactly the opposite mm-hmm. when actually that's not the right thing either. Mm. And, and that's also Driven by that parental influence, though. Mm.
0: I think M. Scott Peck said that, uh, you know, we spend our whole lives uh, undoing the neuroses that our parents give us. <laughs> I think, but uh, anyway, that's that's a fabulous insight. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some more in just a little bit. We're coming up here on six forty four.
1: Our independence is everything. Brazier Mobility has been creating independence for people for over 30 years. Brazier Mobility specialises in tailored vehicle solutions to keep you active. Ensuring your vehicle modification suits your needs, offering you unlimited freedom. Brazier Mobility boasts a team of highly skilled technicians working in a state-of-the-art facility located here in South Australia. No compromises are made when it comes to client satisfaction. Call them for a friendly chat on 1800 Brazier or visit their website braziermobility.com.au. Brazier Mobility, creating independence. Destinazione Australia è l'appuntamento settimanale con le ispiranti storie di vita della nuova generazione di italiani in Australia ci racconteranno i loro viaggi intorno al mondo, i loro percorsi di studio, sogni e progetti futuri inoltre tante informazioni utili su come intraprendere e vivere al meglio l'avventura australiana ogni martedì mattina in diretta alle 11 e in replica venerdì alle 18 destinazione Australia con Pina e Stefano solo su Radio Italia 1 87.6 FM Estovest a restaurant that offers traditional Italian food that Nonna would approve of famous for gnocchi and authentic Napolitana style pizza and every Thursday night you can enjoy unlimited pizza for just 25 dollars wonderful coffee and staff that make you feel special Estovest Shop 1, 111 Angus Street in the city. To book, visit their website, estorvest.com.au, and click on Book Now. You'll feel like you're in Italy. Radio Italia Uno.
0: You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello, we're back with Eddie Blass uh, and uh, the pro-vice chancellor of Torrens University, as well as the CEO and founder of Inventorium. Uh, if you want to hear more about some of the great programs that uh, Inventorium is, is running to help uh, young people and people that have been out of school and want to go back uh, to personalize their educational experience to get the most out of it, uh, you can check that out on her website, which is
2: inventoryum.com.au
0: There you go. So um we I want to talk a little bit about you mentioned in one of the previous sessions that uh you know that the educational system was based on white male privilege, and and I do know that since the 70s, the uh, the amount of men graduating from university has been down, has went down and down and down, and now it's about sixty forty women graduating versus men. So you you see that as a positive that things are heading in the right direction, or it's balancing out, or it's not a rigged game or uh, as such. At this point,
2: I think it's really interesting um, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, what we're seeing is that women and people of color are becoming better at playing the white male game. Mm. So they've learned to play by those rules. What we haven't seen yet is systemic changes Mm. in the process and rules. So, for example, the system is still built around a traditional economic capitalist model. In, in the notion of of profit, and you know, entrepreneurs are, It's the idea that you become a unicorn and you make millions, and you're an Elon Musk or a Richard Branson, and that success, rather than being a social entrepreneur who's bringing about change and social good. Um, and it was interesting because uh, the other day I was I was actually writing a new piece of curriculum for a seven to nine um, age group, and it, it's all about heroes and heroines. And I was, you know, I've I've looked at sporting heroes where you can find a lot more male sporting heroes than female or a lot more material on male sporting heroes than females. And then you look at politicians. And again, there's a lot of very successful male politicians, but women now coming to the fore in some countries. But then when I was looking for young activists and young heroes, you've got Greta Thunberg, you've got Malala Yousafzai. Where are the men? That there isn't. There's almost like this dearth of young men putting themselves out there as heroes of a cause, and and uh, I'm reflecting on that at the moment as mm. to why that is, and and maybe it's because we're starting to see this backlash against this standard white male created <coughs> capitalist society, mm. and and so now we're starting to see the change in the rise in social enterprise as an alternate model.
0: Mm. Well I, I don't know if you could say it's the white man's game if he's losing it. <laughs>
2: so I mean probably no
0: longer the game. <laughs> I mean maybe it was, but uh you know, and, and I mean I, I, I respect what you're saying and can see your point and um but I mean what would you say to people that say that all of the great change in the past, okay, and you know, before the 1950s, 1960s, and 70s, has come from the fact that you know we've been we've been able to raise the economy to a point where there's been time to focus on solving those problems rather than substance, you know, just trying to meet our basic needs. I mean, why did art blossom during the Renaissance? Well, yeah. because the Catholic Church, I mean, had so much money, so much property, and of course, they did things that weren't great, okay, but they created this opportunity for artists you know to have patrons and create this art but in just the 30 40 seconds we have left if you'd want to comment on that that'd be great i
2: I think it's a start but Mm -hmm. it's still on their terms Mm. it's like charity charity says here you are we will help you Mm -hmm. it doesn't say we will listen to what your needs are and help you fulfill your own needs we've decided how we will help you with the charity and it's almost the same thing whereas A shift to a more social enterprise-based economy empowers people to bring about the changes that they want to see and that they want to be in the world going forward. Well,
0: that's an awesome point. It's always better to teach people to fish than to fish for them. So I want to thank uh, uh, Mark Aston today for paneling for us. And, of course, I want to thank Eddie Blast for being here and being such an awesome guest. I wish we could have you back three thank or four times me. in a row. That so many stimulating <laughs> conversations today. Uh, you can learn more about Eddie and Inventorium on our website, which is?
2: Inventorium.com.au.
0: But most of all, I want to thank you, the audience, for listening. Please tune in next week, Monday at 6 p.m., for Change the World with Matt McQuinley. And, as always, I'll leave you with... with... With a brief inspirational message. Today's inspirational message is brought to you by Save a Lot Beds. You deserve a good night's sleep. Visit their showroom at 634 Port Road in Beverly, or call them on 1-300-791919, or visit their website, which is www.savealotbeds.com.au. In 1983, an Israeli F-15 Eagle and an A-4 Skyhawk fighter plane collided in a training exercise over the Negev Desert. One of the F-15's wings was completely sheared off. Because of the cloud of fuel, neither pilot nor co-pilot could see that the wing was gone. They had almost no fuel left. They had to land the plane at twice normal speed to keep the plane stable. Their tail hook, which was supposed to slow down their landing, was ripped clean off, and they came to a stop 10 meters short of a collision with barricades at the end of the airstrip. The manufacturer did not believe that this landing, much less flight, was possible and demanded proof. When they received the video and photos of the event, they believed them to be fake. They only believed that this event occurred after they authenticated the photos and the video. They could not get the math to work out to show that a plane could be flown in that situation. A similar midair collision over Kansas in the United States between two F-16s left one plane missing five feet of its wing, yet its pilot, a student, was able to land it nearly 100 miles away. The powers that be could not build a computer simulation or model to show that a plane could be flown much less landed in that way. These collisions are part of the reason the United States military decided to not go down the path of an all-drone air force, as was being discussed at the time. It just seems to be that there are some things that only a human pilot can handle, even with all our advanced technology. In the 1930s, engineers and biologists proved conclusively, at least in their minds, that a bumblebee should not be able to take off, much less fly. Obviously, this is absurd. Despite that, it took nearly 70 years to figure out how they can. Furthermore, bumblebees can fly up to nine kilometers in height, just slightly lower than the cruising altitude of a commercial airliner. They can also make right turns in less than 50 milliseconds. Until 1954, many scientists and doctors had felt it was a proven scientific fact that it was physically impossible for a man to run a four-minute mile until Roger Bannister did it. Now, of course, thousands of people have. Today, scientists know that there are more possible connections between neurons in our brains than we believe there are stars in the universe, not the galaxy, the universe. The same is true on the variations that can exist in the human genome. Furthermore, there has been for almost the last 90 years, a large number of highly respected people in the scientific community that believe that the Heisenberg uncertainty principle seemed to suggest that reality is basically created by our own observations and or consciousness. So what am I saying? Am I saying, don't listen to engineers? Am I saying, don't listen to the scientists? Am I saying, ignore your doctor, don't listen to him either? No. What I am saying is that your potential is perhaps unlimited. We have no idea what the limit of a human actually is. So don't put limits on yourself or your loved ones. And remember, there are two kinds of people in the world. The first who believe they are limited and it can't be done, and the second who don't put limits on themselves and think their, as well as others' potential, may be virtually unlimited, and that almost anything is possible. The question is, as always, which one are you? Today's inspirational message was brought to you by Save-A-Lot Beds, where you can save hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on a mattress or bed. Visit their showroom at 634 Port Road in Beverly, Call them on one 300 or visit their website, which is www.savealotbeds.com.au.